Okay. Hello, my name is Abigail Hailu, and I'm the creator of the Black Autism Network podcast. The Black Autism Network is an organization that seeks to build a global inclusive community of Black people with autism while helping their allies and families navigate pathways for advocacy, support, and empowerment. We highlight the latest research on how Black children and youth particularly experience autism differently than other racial groups in an effort to highlight disparities in research and interventions. Today, I have the opportunity to speak with Dr. Jessica Hertz, who is an assistant professor in psychiatry and behavioral sciences at Stanford University School of Medicine and specializes in child and adolescent psychiatry and child development. She's particularly interested in working with families of color who have children with autism and recently was a panelist on a discussion sharing tips and strategies on how families can prepare their child with autism for a possible encounter with law enforcement. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Hertz. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. In an interview when you were honored during Stanford Women's in Medicine Month, you noted that you were inspired to become a clinician so that people in your community could have access to clinician of color. Since you specialize in supporting adolescents with anxiety and autism, what have been experiences that affirm your decision to make a unique difference in the lives of family of color seeking support? Yeah, I think the experiences that truly highlight the power of representation is just seeing that comfort of families in the room. It's like hearing them share their stories and their journeys, not only with mental health, but also how their culture, their identities influence that journey, as well as influence how they see healing and treatment. I think that their ability to open up and share that kind of shows you that when they have a clinician who identifies with some of their identities, there's just going to be that comfort there. Sometimes you do have patients who will just, you know, say it directly that they feel heard and they feel understood because they share one or more identities with you. But a lot of times it's just that feeling and their ability to open up about their, their culture and their identities in the room. That's truly amazing. Um, what challenges in your own journey did you have to become to get to this level of becoming a clinician and who did you draw inspiration from? Pursuing my graduate degree was one of the hardest things that I've ever done. Um, some of the challenges are just, you know, the massive financial time and energy uh, commitment that you have to make to be able to do it. Uh, but there were also times where I was in classes or at training sites where I was one of the only people of color. Um, and in some ways that shows progress because, hey, I'm, I'm in the room, but in other ways, you know, it led to this sense of imposter syndrome and questioning if I belonged. Um, you know, I often was overthinking, am I professional enough? Is my hair okay? You know, do I sound articulate? So it's just, you know, there's a lot more thinking, I think, that went into it than some of my counterparts. Um, and, you know, there would also even be things that would come up when I would be working with patients and there would be something related to identity um, or culture that would come up that wasn't sitting well with me. And I wanted to be able to turn to a supervisor that not only could guide me in terms of, you know, how to pursue a good treatment plan, but also um, who could, who've lived that experience and who, who could guide me in that way. And I didn't always have supervisors that shared those sort of experiences. Um, but I will say that the women in my division were the people who inspired me the most, um, really seeing them achieve these leadership roles and and knowing that what it took to climb the ladder and 
knowing um, how hard it must have been to get a seat at the table, um, you know, with the many barriers that they they were met with, it just really encouraged me to just keep going. That's such an inspiring story. When you were like in your process of choosing your job, like why did you pick child and adolescent care specifically? Like there's so many different stages people with autism at different ages go through. Yeah, I I really, really, really care and I'm passionate about early intervention. You know, we I've had the opportunity to see firsthand the power of getting um, symptoms addressed early in development and how that can lead to a better long-term prognosis. So I just felt really passionate about working with youth on building those tools, building those skills that are going to allow them to be better equipped for the challenges that come in adulthood. And I also really just enjoy the playful nature of the work with youth. You know, I often have to think about creative ways to teach them um, the material that we're reviewing that is kind of hard to grasp when you're a kid. So, you know, I think that's another aspect that drew me into it. And honestly, there's never a dull moment with my job, um, with my kids. So it just, it makes it more enjoyable. That's like such an amazing, like it seems like such an amazing job to have. Um, Is there like, what's your observation with working with your patients on like the value of having providers from a similar cultural backgrounds to them? Yeah, again, I think it's that sense of comfort and belonging and validation that can come from working with a provider that shares a similar culture or identity as you. Uh, It's one thing to have a provider who can say, I see you, I hear what you're saying, but it's another one when somebody can say, I feel you, you know, like I truly can understand your experience. And, you know, your provider may not have the exact same lived experience as you, but they can still understand on a deeper level what it's like um, to maybe encounter society in the same ways as you. Um, So I think that it just helps with the opening up process uh, and, and just talking about these challenges related to identity and culture that might not feel as safe or comfortable with a provider who doesn't share some of those cultural identities or, or values. Right. In society also, like we see like maladaptive behaviors identified as neural, as a neurodevelopmental disorder or a mental health issue for majority communities. And for minority communities, it's considered a stigma that's linked to their race. How do you think that this can ultimately result in an incarceration of Black individuals with neurodevelopmental disorders? Yeah, I, unfortunately, in our society, people of color are often perceived as as dangerous or criminals, whether it be implicit or explicit bias. There's just this assumption about their behavior that is not often seen through the lens of mental health. So as a result of this, there's this mentality of eliminating a threat as opposed to kind of determining what underlying issues there might be to that behavior. And that can lead to incarceration or even death of individuals who are suffering a mental health illness or crisis. Um, But it's not only a systemic or societal issue, Um, even within the Black community, that stigma against, you know, seeking mental health um, you know, support can can really stop a lot of people from getting the help that they need. So it's really important that we encourage people to address these challenges with mental health and that we also, as a society, address the perceptions of those in, you know, law enforcement or even just the society at large. 
the Black Autism Network was usually was mainly started due to the support with of my younger brother and realizing what he's been through as a person of color on the spectrum, and that there are like too few available resources available uh, that are specific to Black families. How is being Black and autistic a different experience than majority communities that you've seen? Yeah, I think it's in incredibly important to consider the intersectionality of identities, especially when those identities are of marginalized groups. The unique challenges that a Black individual with autism will encounter differ significantly from that of a white individual with autism. So their experiences with like accessing care or just even interacting with people in the community will be different. And therefore, there's a need for providers to be aware of these differences, to acknowledge these differences, and really address um, you know, these differences and, and provide the appropriate resources that are tailored to the family that they're working with. What do we know, what do you know statistically about Black families and children with autism? What research is out there that you've seen uh, for anyone seeking to better understand that intersection? Yeah, I mean, honestly, the short answer is there isn't enough of it. There's not a lot of research out there. It wasn't even until 1989 that the term intersectionality was coined by Kimberly Williams Crenshaw. So there is this gap uh, in the literature about this specific intersectionality of, you know, being a person of color as well as having autism. We do know that there's higher risk for this group. Um, like, you know, encountering with police and all of that. And we also know that they're going to be more likely to encounter barriers to getting, uh, to getting a diagnosis and to getting interventions and services. But honestly, there's not a lot that's known about that intersectionality. So we need a lot more um, work to be done. Right. There's also a huge medical mistrust in the Black community here. And how does that affect how families with an autistic child approach getting help or support? Honestly, uh, it's not surprising that there's that mistrust given the history of, um, you know, Black people's experience in the medical health field. So, you know, I think that it, it makes sense that they might be hesitant to seek care um, or maybe even maybe concerned when they do meet with a provider and the provider encourages certain recommendations for treatment, and they might be skeptical and not as invested in these treatments, which can serve as a barrier for their child. So while it is important for, for those families to, to pursue providers that they feel that trust with, they have to bring it up in the conversation. So I always encourage families to bring up that that mistrust, that, that worry, so that there can be a conversation between them and their provider that can hopefully lead to trust and, and understanding. That's incredible. Uh, specifically for me, like my family is from Ethiopia and in many places in Africa and also the U.S., there's a cultural stigma around even talking about autism or other special needs. How do you support families in navigating uh, the cultural stigmas that come with supporting an autistic child? Yeah, I personally always try to come from a place of empathy and curiosity. So I want to understand each family's understanding of what autism is and their perceptions about it. And I think it's so important to validate their experiences and, you know, their, their learning about their child's challenges. 
um, it can be hard to label those challenges. And often families do wrestle with what it means to them and, and, and how their culture might perceive what autism or any other special needs, um, you know, diagnosis might be. So I often just state that it's it's more important to think about what your child's strengths and challenges are more than even what we call it, because, you know, it's going to best guide us with with providing optimal care. So one child with autism may require very different services than than another. Um, so I just spend time working with the family on their values um, and explore what best ways we can support their child's needs. And also, I just do my best to normalize uh, mental health, autism, and just neurodiversity. That's truly incredible. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in with us today. We've covered a lot of information, and we hope the stories and awareness we bring can inspire our listeners to make change. Thank you so much for listening. This is Abigail Hailu in the Black Autism Network podcast. Thank you.